Someone asked me after the morning service, they said, would you please tell me how you memorize? And I thought, well, I'll just, this is what I teach the students, and since you're here where the Bible Institute students are all around you, you get to kind of be in one of the classes. So why is scripture memorization so vital for our lives as believers? That's uh, what someone asked me. I always give them four reasons, I'll only give you one because you already know all these things, but I'll just remind you. Because it's the only source of inextinguishable joy and hope. Now that's what Jeremiah says. Your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me, and here's that inextinguishable joy and hope. See, when God produces it, it doesn't go away. When God is the source of it, it's not attached to our circumstances. When, when it's a byproduct of the Holy Spirit using the word of God flowing through us, it's supernatural. And that's what we as believers are supposed to be characterized by. We are supposed to live that, and when everybody else in the world only gets joy and rejoicing when they win the lottery, or when they're young and healthy, or when they get something they've always wanted, that's the only time, or chemically it's induced for a little while, but that's what the Lord promised. Now, remember who wrote that? Jeremiah, by the way, in Hebrew, remember the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, there are more Hebrew words in the book of Jeremiah than any other book in the Bible. It's actually longer than the Psalms, but it's not written poetically, and so it, it looks shorter, fewer pages, but if you actually count the words, Jeremiah wrote more than anybody else in the Bible. Did you know he was the most, as far as we know, recorded in the Bible, the most depressed, the most discouraged, and the most hopeless person described in the Bible? Did you know that? Have you read Lamentations 3 lately? I'll show you. I tell this to the kids, I call them kids, the students, uh, but they're so young, they're kids to me. But look at, or you can listen, but Lamentations 3, is Jeremiah's testimony of what life was like. And he said this, I'm the man who's seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has made me walk in darkness, not in light. He said, life for me is like perpetually walking in the dark. He has led me and made me walk in that darkness and turned his hand against me time and time again through the day. He says, the Lord is is against me, not for me. So he's in the dark, the Lord's against him. Verse four, he has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. So what he's saying is, I'm having physical breakdown because I'm serving the Lord. By the way, do you know Jeremiah? God told him, you'll never get to be married. He was single by command, not by choice. God said to him, you'll never have a wife to have a light on, an oil lamp on when you get home. You'll never have a meal cooked for you by someone that loves you. You're never gonna have someone to share your life with. You're going to be perpetually alone. So he had lifelong, what was he called, the what prophet? weeping. It was intentional. God made him a picture of his sorrow for his people. He had a 40-year ministry, and as far as we know, not one person responded. Now here, Eduardo was talking about this dynamic, wonderful ministry that he's doing. How would you like to support a missionary that for 40 years, every single prayer letter, they say, still no one has responded, no one has responded, no one is coming to the meetings, no one has gotten saved, no one will listen to me, and they're beating me up and putting me in pits and everything else, but I'm gonna still keep preaching. That was Jeremiah. But it doesn't stop there. He has besieged me, verse five, 
and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He had deep emotional problems. He has set me in dark places, verse six, like the dead of long ago. You know what that means? He was depressed and felt no one even knew who he was. The dead long ago. You ever go to a cemetery where the, the etching on the tombstone's gone? You don't even know who's buried there. Forgotten and impossible to know. That's how Jeremiah felt. Verse seven, he's hedged me in so I can't get out. He said, I'm trapped. He has made my chain heavy. He says, I just carry this burden around. Verse eight, even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. He says, I'm out of touch with God. And I work for him. I wrote the longest book in the Bible and and I'm out of touch with him. Verse nine, he has blocked my way with hewn stone. You know what that, that means? Like one of those stones drops in front of you in the pyramids and you can't get out. He said, I'm trapped. A hewn stone block. He has made my path crooked. He said, I'm confused. He has been to me like a bear lying in wait and like a lion in ambush. You know what he said? I have fears all the time. I mean, I could, uh, there's too many of these to read. Basically, he's one of the most discouraged, depressed, kind of struggling people in the Bible. How did he make it? Well, look at this. Thy words were found. That's what devotion is all about. People talk about having their devotions. It isn't something you have, it, it, it's something you are. You have a, I mean, it's not something you do, it's something you have. People do it, we're supposed to have it. It's a devotion that you want to find the Lord in his word, you wanna hear his voice. Did you know this morning at, at 5.50, I was listening to God, I heard him very clearly. I heard him because I was playing Isaiah. Uh, chapter 10 to 19, in my car as I was driving, I heard the voice of God. Thy words were found, that's devotion. I ate them, that's meditating on it. That means it just, we don't read it and check it off. We, we chew on it. We, we, what you ate for lunch is already at molecular level, cellular level in your body, if everything's running okay, okay? You know what I mean, if we're healthy, that's what happens. It goes right down to cellular level. Does the word of God penetrate in and start transforming you more every day? That's what it's supposed to be doing. That's what it's doing in my life. That's what it's doing in your life if you let it. From the inside out, we're changed every day to look more like Christ. But it doesn't stop there. And your word was to me. So it's God's word becomes to me the joy and rejoice in my heart. See, that's the transformation that takes place. All of a sudden, I start seeing life differently. I see it through the frame of the scriptures. And I realize that God loves me so much, he doesn't ever intentionally harm me. And God is so powerful, nothing comes into my life that that he couldn't prevent. And God is so wise, he's never surprised by anything. And he's always with me. And that's the frame that goes around everything. Basically, we call those the attributes of God. You know, his omnipotence and his omniscience and his omnipresence and his love. And he's always there. And that transforms us. And then, look at what happens. I'm called by your name. I'm identified with God. I have this attachment that takes me through life, that helps me. Hebrews 7 says, we live after the power of an endless life. Wow. You know, Ponce de Leon, what was he looking for in Florida? Fountain of youth, yeah. You know what? You have the fountain of youth. You have endless life. 
Psalm 92 says, the older you get, the more you have time to grow in God, the more fruitful and overflowing our lives should be. You all are the prime, most godly spiritual people in the world should be, based on our ages here. Because we have devoted ourselves, meditated, been transformed, and now identify more than at any time in our life with God. Well, here's some old tips. This is what I was trying to get to, sorry. Do you see why I love the kids so much? Most of them, I'll say a typical class. I'll say, how many of you know Galatians 2.20? I say, raise your hand if you know Galatians 2.20. To the kids, not to you. This is rhetorical. And they'll look at me, and I'll hear them whispering. I'll say, I don't know if it's a sign to know a word of life, but you should know that for the rest of your life. You know, we just sang it. See, we, we sing of knowing Christ and, and of being crucified with him and loving him. So here's some tips on how to memorize scripture. Number one, invest in a plan. Don't try and figure it out yourself. The navigators, remember Dawson Trotman drowned at Word of Life. So I mean, he's memorialized Word of Life. You know, he was rescuing someone. But Dawson Trotman started the navigators. They have these scripture memory packs. I just clipped that off of uh, Amazon this afternoon. Cost $10, they'll mail it to you with Prime for free. And they have all these topics. Um, that you can get the big fat one that's $15 and they have like 140 verses or you can get a little one that only has 36, but those are really neat, I use those. Uh, or my favorite of all is the companion to the MacArthur Study Bible. And John MacArthur gives you his 52 favorite verses, he gives you a little sermon on why they're his favorite and they include in that little box the cards. I'll even show you one um, uh, in a minute. Here's the key to memorization, don't discourage yourself. Some people, they say, I'm gonna read the whole Bible this month, or I'm gonna learn 10 verses, and then they don't, and they feel guilty, and they don't wanna talk about it. Don't discourage yourself. Uh, when we used to read the Bible with our kids, we read it every day. You know what every day means? Five out of seven, because dad worked Sundays. You know what my kids used to say in the nursery? Because I would leave for church about 6.30 in the morning, I would get home, as they were seated at lunch and eat. And I would go back to the church and I would get home like at nine at night. And my daughter once raised her hand in Sunday school and said, pray for my dad, he works on Sundays. <laughs> she never saw me in church because she was in Sunday school and children's church and nursery and never saw me. She thought I worked somewhere else. You know, but don't discourage yourself. Uh, get a plan. And if you're married, this is what I tell all the couples. This is part of my premarital counseling. Because I tell them, not only should you, you know, be working on your finances and your honeymoon and how glorious and glamorous your wedding's going to be, you ought to be working on the rest of your life. And I said, you should find the verses your husband knows, and you should find the verses your wife knows, and do a Venn. Remember that from math class? The overlap. The Venn is where you start. Nothing worse than saying to your wife, we're going to learn 10 verses, and she knows none of them. And you already know them, you know, you're going to win. No, you find what you, see everybody has a body of verses they've already learned, right? All of you know 9, 10, 11, and 12. You all know four verses for sure tonight, right? Let's quote them together. Everybody ready? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There, see, you already know those four verses. And then, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and for God so loved the world. See, now you're up to six. See, there we go. You find what you already know, and you start on that. 
and you share them and you repeat them and as you're walking or riding your cool motorized bikes that I'm jealous for and all that, you're working on them. Bonnie and I work on our verses all the time. We just work in different countries on them. You can work here or wherever. But don't discourage yourself, work together. And here, try this, this is the last thing. I call it the first letter method. Now there's a picture, one of my cards. See the handwriting? The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was in my tongue. How do you like that? That's the first letter of each word. Now what I do is I put that on the back side of the card. And I work on the front, and then I flip it over, and I look at those letters, and I try and remember. And it's so discouraging to flip it over and have nothing, because you can't even remember the first word. But if you have that little glimmer from the first letter. Here's another one. This is one of the MacArthur, uh, uh, that's week 10. It's 52 weeks long. Uh, This is one I'm actually actively working on right now. Uh, See, verse 7, verse 8, verse 9, the law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul, the testimonies of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And I actually, you know, cover it up and just use my little letters. So I would encourage you uh, to start memorizing. Remember, Scripture is the sword of the Spirit. If you were going to jump into a cage with a ravenous lion and you were allowed to take one defensive instrument in, and there was this bunch of swords lined up, what size sword would you pick? The biggest one you could hold and swing well to defend yourself. So we are facing a ravenous lion, for our adversary the devil walks about like a what? Yeah, seeking to what? Devour. And so the verses that we have memorized and meditated upon that that are verses that we need to change us. If we struggle with fear, there are verses about not fearing. If we struggle with lust, it's verses about how to overcome that. If we struggle with materialism, it's, you know, that's why we learn verses. We learn verses to sanctify our lives. But if you're meeting the devil, and let's say a sword about this long is maybe 50 verses that you know. So that's a good sized sword. This would be a 25 verse. 12 verses. Do you know what most people, believers, are facing the devil with? A thumbtack. That's all they know by heart, you know, like John 3:16, you. Instead of knowing the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God.